0: next episode of the Radio Data Podcast. Today our guest is Michał Wyhubel, uh, who works as a senior data engineer at Renofy. Michał, it's my pleasure to have you here.
1: Hi Adam, uh, awesome to be here. I think it's going to be my first podcast that I'm guest to, so hi everyone.
0: Yes, that's that's great. So uh, let's start as always with the introduction. Could you please tell us more about yourself?
1: Sure. Sure. Uh, So I'm a data engineer since 2015, but before I had a completely different career and I was just a a software engineer. Uh, I worked as a backend uh, engineer and developing many web services, mainly in Ruby and Rails. Uh, And then about six years of that career, I thought, ah, maybe I need to change something. So I moved more to DevOps-y, and when I was uh, interested in the infrastructure, I also stumbled upon a few people that said that, oh, you would be a great fit for our data team because we need someone that knows uh, stuff about AWS and all DevOps and that's how my career in data started. So main, mainly initially was uh, infrastructure work, but then I was progressing more and more and now I could call myself a full stack data person that, that uh, played with, plays still a lot with infrastructure, although last year not not so much, and moved to analytics engineering, uh, spent some time with uh, AI, or I would say ML, uh, but to the degree so I know. Uh, what things I, I should know to deliver some work I, I need to do. And yeah, that, that's more or less <laughs>
0: me. So it probably means that you work on end-to-end projects. Uh, is that true? That's true. I, I, have,
1: I mainly work on a data products. Uh, recently, I was hired at Renofy to, to deliver a few data products and also uh, manage a data platform at Renofy. And because of my previous career as a person that can deliver from zero to, to, to let's say 90% of a, a product uh, I have a good idea how to do it, how to plan it, how to prepare, document some kind of uh, options what we can do uh, and then maintain because in my previous company I spent there seven years so I, I, I've seen and witnessed A lot of product that started from zero, from just inception when someone has an idea, then we deliver that. After a few years, it was great success. And after uh, another few years, uh, we had to shut it down (laughs) and and create something new because uh, there were not enough people to maintain it.
0: Yes, so we will be able to talk about the projects that you are currently working on and why and how uh, different competences in data infrastructure, data platform and data engineering and also uh, data science can be used to implement them. Uh, But let's start with the description of your company. So it gives us a bit more context. And could you please tell us more about Renofi and also your role at this company? Right.
1: So uh, at the moment, I work at Renofi, and Renofy is a platform that helps people that try to renovate their properties to borrow more money with the lowest monthly payment. So imagine you have a property, you bought a new property, or you have an old uh, house, and you want to renovate it. You want to add uh, maybe a garage. You want to add maybe even a floor. So we help with big renovation also small Um, but you know that after renovation the value of your property will be higher and usually when banks lend money or lenders lend money they just lend you a month of of the value the property is worth right now not after renovation so uh, Renofy tries to calculate uh, after renovation value of the property and the lenders we work with will give you will lend you money of starting of that value mm-hmm. so you will be able to lend significantly more than what you could do with other lenders mm-hmm. and uh, that entails loads of loads of data points uh, we have a pretty massive platform where we we need to collect loads of data from, our, from the, our customers, from the borrowers that come to site. Then we process, there's a, a pretty long journey for some of our uh, customers where they need to upload many documents. They need to tell us who they work with. Then we have a process on the writing process where we check feasibility of that renovation, whether it's gonna happen or not, or how difficult it is. So then when we send documents and a person to a lender, we say, we give a stamp of approval. This, this will happen. They will finish their renovation for sure or with a, with a high likelihood. And then lender uh, will, give, will lend the money to the borrower. That's more or less the main idea behind, behind the start.
0: Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a great use case for data and machine learning. And you mentioned that you collect a lot of data points. And what is the nature of this data? And uh, how do you actually use this data at Renofy to make uh, data-driven decisions about the renovations, about the borrowers, and whether a particular loan uh, should be given or not?
1: Sure. Um, So maybe I will uh, try to tell a little bit about our data platform and the data team maybe at the company because Renafy is still not a big company. Maybe we have between 50 and 100 people. And uh, on the uh, on the tech side, it's not more than 40, I would say. And data team is pretty small, but we started quite early from the from the beginning. You, you know how it is, well, you might know or not know, but in startups, you don't usually start with data teams. You need to have a product, uh, and then you develop product, you try to improve it, find a market product fit, uh, and then when there's a when a startup is successful, then maybe afterthought is a data team. At Renofy, it was a little bit different because our uh, CTO has a data background, and he from the day one uh, made uh, really good decisions, uh, which I was pretty happy when I joined. I will tell about them in a second. Um, but where I was planning to go is to talk a little bit about data teams at startups because I worked in my previous company. I worked in a, in a successful company that had 500 people, a massive data team. Uh, but in a sense, I, I can compare both and say that at startups, uh, it's pretty good these days because of the, all this modern data stack tooling. So, let me start with, so, okay, the data we collect is all the data that our, so everything starts with a journey on the website, where we have a, a wizard, we have a questionnaire where people come, they will come through usually, you know, some Google or a search engine when they search for a, a renovation house and loans, and then we, they will see a uh, uh, a questionnaire with, with many questions. What do you renovate? When do you plan to renovate? Uh, what's your FICO score? So we need to ask a, a, a few financial uh, questions. Uh, what's your, how much money you want uh, to, to, to borrow and so on and so on and so on. So this is first stage in a sense. And that's how the lead uh, is created or a prospect because not everyone that comes to the website, they might just check, how much money we can borrow, what's possible, what's the interest rates, and so on and so on. So that's the first step. And it's already a a big data set of data, many data points. I I can't say how many, but a lot. And from then, we we have some automated ways to collect uh, credit scores from some partners, and so on and so on. So we try to enrich that information. And that goes... To the sales team, and we at this stage, one of the data products we have uh, is a lead scoring, or a way to prioritize people. So I can talk a little bit about this later, but just to highlight that it, it's a. Uh, I think in every company you will have uh, this data product. You can call it data product or sales slash marketing product, but it requires a lot of data to make a decision, which. Leads or w- uh, which customer we should prioritize to contact because in this type of business um, ha- making outbound contacts uh, just making a call uh, making a call to them might might be very successful and might finish in a in a closing alone so the next once we we get uh, w- when people decide to use our platform, then there is a standard flow. They will sign in to their uh, user account uh, to their portal, like user portal, where they will have to fill in many steps. If you, I'm not sure how many people have a loan or they try to, to get a loan, it means sending a lot of documents and filling up a lot of forms, checking the history and on top of just financials, what Renofy is interested is in, in the renovation. So uh, people that come to Renofy they should already have a contractor and a plan. So they uh, obviously they can come and without any plans and uh, just talk with us and say check the flow. but we will only work uh, and help find a lender once you have. Uh, a contractor and documents uh, of what you are really doing. Because then we, we check the feasibility, feasibility of that renovation, whether that will be exa- cost exactly what you said. Wouldn't you go uh, overboard if you are saying you are adding a new, a new floor to your house? Uh, definitely the risk and difficulty of this is uh, higher than I'm renovating just a bathroom and kitchen. For instance, so we we have a so there are two things we we try to automate it with technology, but we still have, you have a, a specialist that just go through the uh, through the projects. Uh, they are experts in the field and they make a decision. We have a, 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 a basically many forms and they just say, okay, this is feasible. Uh, they in this on this item on adding a new bathroom on second floor there might be a problem they underestimated it and so we will highlight it and we generate many reports so at this stage so this is the renovation underwriting stage where they already uploaded all the documents and i i think a customer has uh, many tasks in which they have to upload some sorts of documents where and in underwriting renovation underwriting step we uh, we review all of it and then when everything is fine, we send it to lender for approval and there's, they need to wait. So from the business perspective, when it comes to the data, the main 90% of businesses want to have a good view of what's happening. So reports uh, and sorts of monitoring is a, second main use case for the our data team and what we work on. And I, I think I, I would like to focus on it uh, for a while and explain how we do it before I move to, uh, 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 let's say, lead scoring, for instance. Yes, please. OK, so every modern startup or most of the modern startup uh, collect a lot of data, and that data is collected by different services, microservices, let's say. For instance, our uh, website will have a different uh, service and different database than uh, the other one that a uh, user account or user platform. It will have a, a, another database. There will be a, again another database for renovation underwriting where we, we where the reviews happening. So we already have uh, three different databases. On top of it, we use Salesforce for sales and marketing. Uh, we obviously use uh, we use some telephony solutions when we make a call and when to make a call and when to schedule a call with our customers. So there's a a plethora of cloud services, external cloud services that we also use. So almost every startup, I would say, have internal databases and external cloud services where from the business perspective, from CEO perspective, all the leaders, they would like to have all the data in one place. So Obviously, uh, you have a different names these days, whether it's a warehouse, whether it's a data lake or data lake house, uh, whatever, it's a, a big database where all your data is in. And I guess in getting data, that's one of the use cases that you also help with. What uh, we use, and I, I think it works re- really well for the startup sites as Renovtai, we use uh, modern data stack, as we mentioned, so on the ingestion to collect all of the data, we use few solutions. We use Stitch and Fivetran, but mainly Stitch. Uh, we use Fivetran for all the connection connectors that we couldn't find on Stitch, uh, and we and we have maybe few uh, custom scripts written in Meltano that we that we couldn't find anything on, on Stitch and Fivetran, but. Thankfully, uh, both those Stitch and uh, fight from So, not sure how. I, I guess everyone knows those solutions, uh, uh, at least in, the listeners of this podcast would know. And then we ingest that into BigQuery. So the, the whole platform uh, at Renofy is on uh, on GCP, uh, and it's a. a I, I must say it's a. Uh, so. In my previous company, I worked with Snowflake. Uh, sorry, yeah, Snowflake, and it's probably Snowflake is even, at least according to many people, is better than BigQuery. But I, 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 I would say that BigQuery is a, a very decent uh, data warehouse solution. I never had uh, massive problems with it. So then we we learned data from all those sources into our into the source data set. So. Uh, we, on the, our microservices databases, we usually use Postgres, which also ma- map nicely to, it's already relational. So for analysis, it's, a, it's a not a big problem to map it to our transformed layer. So we have lots of data sets with data sources. I also didn't mention, uh, we also collect uh, events uh, through segment uh, on our website, and that's also go to uh, to BigQuery. So we have loads on the. There's a. I think every data team has a, a diagram that shows what's on the left, all the sources. It, everything lands into your data warehouse. In our case, it's BigQuery, and there we we use DBT. And DBT was, I think, the biggest change. In my career, in data career, what I remember because it simplified so many things uh, for so many people that that uh, I I cannot say uh, how how happy I am with it at the moment. I remember the times when we had a custom SQL scripts so and when we run them on schedule on Airflow, and you need to you know execute them in order. You have either a one big file, a thousand lines. Just sequential SQL. Now with DBT, just uh, you you have uh, all the dependencies, all the DAG uh, just there, and we do plenty of things in DBT uh, for the reporting. So then we have that DBT layer where we have obviously all the duplications handled in DBT in the staging layer in base, and then we have Marts where we have a specific business uh, models either for marketing operations, for sales, and so on and so on, and. We, we try also to do some forecasting, um, and that is the layer which we expose to our BI tool, which is Looker. And obviously, there are many many other tools, BI tools, Tableau, Mode. Uh, before I joined, we use, we used Mode, but we decided to migrate. Uh, I don't remember exactly what was the reasons for that, but uh, I've been I I have experience with Looker since uh, my previous company, so I was pleased with that decision. Uh, and that's what our uh, business user, users are using to explore the data and so on. Uh, I, I can talk mo- more about Looker if anyone is interested, but I think it's a pretty, uh, it's a very good solution, although on the expensive side. So I know that uh, some people now go for, su- what's the super hmm
0: yeah, Superset is open source tools for like data visualization and um, data de- data exploration. But if we speak about Looker, uh, do you have only internal users at your company that that use Looker? At the moment, yes.
1: In previous company, uh, we we had external users. We we you know either we that through iframe. To be honest, I don't remember. But we we had external users and. You have that layer of security also in Looker where you can say what people can see. So that's all pretty, pretty mm-hmm. nice. Uh,
0: and does it also mean that the data that you process and the output of your uh, ETL and analytics pipelines is used only internally by your employees to make uh, better decisions?
1: Correct. It's from inside uh, report uh, checking the performance uh, so th- those are three use cases but i didn't mention one more that is not bi related we also have an activation layer which i for which we use high touch uh, what i mean by uh, activation layer so we have some models that ha- have complex logic so y- y- even for lead scoring our initial version of lead scoring prioritization was just uh, some heuristics our uh, Business say, sales managers, business owners decide, okay, we are interested in this people. This people should be, or not this people, this, this set of features, the set of uh, characteristics of, of a person, we are interested. So there was a, a, a big logic uh, and we were implementing that on, on in dbt. Uh, we created, you can imagine, a, a table, uh, leads and they would have uh, lead scoring table let's say and there was some ID and what's the score and we would then through high Touch, so reverse CTL, whatever there is also census but uh, we use high Touch to extract the data from the warehouse and uh, connect that with Salesforce and on Salesforce then uh, our sales department would see and they could order in sales for who people we should contact and reach reach, and that works really beautiful. Uh, high touch is a great solution. Back in the days, you had to write your own custom scripts, keep the state. So high touch does it for you. You just connect. You say, what's the data source? What's your destination? Uh, and high touch will handle uh, what has changed on the source. Has it changed on destination? If it didn't change on destination, then I wouldn't even hit uh, and update it. So, uh, yeah, it has nice notifications. Really easy to integrate with DBT uh, and any data platform. Not sure how many customers of yours are using Hitouch, uh, but works really well.
0: OK. So, uh, what is also interesting to me is how. Uh, how your data platform and data analytics pipelines adapt to changes because we live in the world uh, that changes very fast and this is clearly visible also in the housing market uh, because inflation and the interest rates are very high. So this definitely changes the customer uh shopping habits and also how they spend the money and as well how they uh, borrow the money, especially when it comes to house renovation, that is uh, usually much more expensive than groceries, uh, vacation or even buying a car. So do you also need to change your scoring models or other machine learning pipelines in a much faster way uh, those days uh, than before uh, to adapt to the current microeconomic changes?
1: Uh, for sure, uh, definitely everyone sees the changes in the, in the of the interest, predominantly uh, for, the, for our products. Um, what we still do we, we use mix uh, as I mentioned we, we still have heuristics. heuristics are changing uh, constantly. Our uh, managers look closely what's happening and try based on the mainly their expertise decide what we should focus now. We also change the, you know, at startups things change quicker than in uh, other companies. So the change is uh, uh, the main thing at the startups. Uh, So we need to use tools that we know that we can quickly uh, iterate with. But to your specific question, on the lead scoring side, uh, we use mainly heuristics. We also have our ML lead scoring, which are, which is more as a experimental thing that we do and compare uh, we I, I couldn't say that we use it in full production mainly because it's not true but we are planning to uh, but to do this we <laughs> I, I could talk about this a little bit from the more from the day what solutions we decided to use and what i've seen previously in the company uh, and I, I couldn't say I, I'm an expert from the data science perspective because I'm mainly a data engineer. But uh, uh, in, you know, you need to have to. Oh, one of the challenges I see to, is to have a good ML solution that is operationally sound in a sense that we have a a good set of when you retrain, you define when you retrain, how you monitor it. Uh, how you make sure what you, do you do if you're uncertain of the all the metrics that you co- collect what the date and so on and so on so on that side in startups it's still really hard because you have you don 't have too many people so one of the things w- which i which I enjoy working in startup that I can do more with less and by less I mean less fewer people uh, and yeah sometimes you need to don't go for a shiny solution like ML, you just use heuristics which will be good enough, uh, will provide good enough business results because cost of, <laughs> cost of a proper ML solution is really, are really high. Uh, mm-hmm. I can talk a little bit about this. So we, we, it's fairly, these days at least, it's fairly easy to have a batch ML predictions. Comparing to online predictions. Uh, and we, we've been playing with that. And for batch ML on Google, you can use uh, DBT with BigQuery ML. And that's what we've been trying to do. You in BigQuery ML, uh, obviously, there's one pain point because our usually data scientists are used to Python and all the transformation they do, uh, they've been learned. In Python, uh, and that's the, the main thing they're using. Uh, but because DBT these days is such a success, and you can ask, uh, SQL is a lingua franca of data, and you everyone knows it. So I was pushing people to just do all the transform. Obviously, exploratory data analysis. You need, usually, you use uh, notebooks and Python, and then you learn what features are uh, a good predictors of whatever. Uh, and so I should. We still talk about in the scope of uh, lead scoring, maybe, or some classification problem. The the scope is the business problems. So usually it's a how likely is that this lead will close based on some observations. So batch predictions, you don't you don't really have to worry for feature store because your feature store is BigQuery, your warehouse, and dbt layer is where you transform all the data. You can transform a dbt model that will be uh, just feature features, uh, features table, And then you can use exactly the same for training and prediction. And you can set it up on schedule even inside dbt uh, with BigQuery ML. And that's what we've been doing. We, we had a um, incremental dbt model that was calling bigquery ml we, we trained some model used this dataset uh and just run so we didn't have to have a separate uh, workflow manager uh, i didn't mention that but we used dbt cloud for all the dbt uh, related scheduling we didn't so as you might know to set up airflow then to set up a feature store, to set up another thing, cube, whatever. So all the solutions in small teams, it's a, a massive cost and and maintenance cost. I don't even want to talk it because you can set it up. I've done that in the past, and it's all fine. You can it's easier. But then okay, you need to update it. You need to make sure it's works. You need to set up monitoring. That's not. I wouldn't say it's feasible for a, a, a small team, or it's. Uh, to the if you want to have it running on the good level uh, a good quality level uh, then you would have to have someone that doesn't have a a,
0: you know a life in a sense (laughs) Uh, yes yes so this this might happen
1: so as i mentioned we want to do more with less so we wanted to focus on tools that we see keep developing I, i i have a a huge fight in dbt uh, last week there was a dbt coalesce conference i'm uh, not sure whether from anyone from your company watched it or did you watch it but uh, i was surprised i think yesterday i got uh some summary and there's a youtube uh youtube playlist and there are 120 videos i was really shocked that there's so many that so many speakers talk at that conference that's a uh, yeah, outrageous. I listened to a few. They're all of them are great. Uh, so anyone who listens to this podcast, I would recommend you go find on uh, YouTube this playlist from this year on, from DBT Uh Yeah, there's a, a few great talks. But anyways, the, the <laughs> going back. Uh, so this is a, so. Just to summarize, that's a batch predictions of some of some model that should develop. And then, still, this is not simple. You have, okay, you solved uh, bad predictions, it's used DBT, but then you still need to monitor what's the performance. So you need to set up some kind of monitoring tool to say, uh, okay, on this day, you, you need to check your ground truths later. You need to uh, retrain the model from now, from here and there. and. So this is still a lot of work for a small team, uh, but we know that results might be be- will be better than heuristic because people are just people. Uh, so this is batch. When it comes to online prediction, and which we try to do now, and I see how many problems from uh, operational ability it has. Because now you don't rely only on your warehouse where you have data for training and prediction, but from online prediction, the data, the data will come from other system that might have that data. It might have a subset of that data or all of that data, but you are not 100% sure that the data will be the same. You <laughs> there is this common problem, uh, training prediction data skew, where you might train your model on the data, but when you try to predict, the the, the customer of this model might have a maybe in one field just a different uh, some data, maybe they uppercase, lowercase, they whatever. It might be a little bit different because on the warehouse in DBT you may maybe transform it. So this is one thing that you need to remember. And uh, a common solution for that are feature stores, which <laughs> adds a, a massive complexity to the system, in my opinion, because uh, because you need to have someone to, to develop the solution and maintain it, and you need to change your experience, You, you your standard workflow, let's say, with DBT, to now to have uh, working on top of that uh uh, feature store. So I guess you've seen that as well.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, I, I think that I understand what you mean. So it's about having a very pragmatic approach and focus first on the most critical functionalities because they, they usually bring the most value, the, the biggest value. Uh, however, there are companies that must develop real-time online machine learning solutions uh, from day one Uh, to exist because their core business model requires them. So one example is Freenow, a multimobility company or Uber or Bolt or similar app. Uh, For example, they need to calculate the price of the ride dynamically in real time based on actual supply and demand. And this this changes all the time. And they also need to predict the estimated time of, of a driver arrival The same about estimated duration of your ride so that you know when you reach uh, the destination and so on. And if they do it well, they will win uh, drivers, customers and they, they will earn money. But if they do it badly, Mm, they will simply lose money. So in their case, real-time and machine learning is a must-have solution and they need to keep investing and improving it all the time, uh, especially at their scale.
1: Correct, correct. That's their core business product or core business uh, value that they give. So in this case, obviously, you have to do it. What I'm saying is in some segments of startups where you don't have, when your core business is not a strict prediction, the cost of ML are, are bigger uh, yeah. or are big. You need to invest a lot in, in your uh, ML, mm-hmm. ML solution. So uh, that's what I wanted to say. And that's mm-hmm. what we see. And we still wait what we should do, because uh, the, cost, uh, the costs are just big. To, to, good, to deliver a good solution, because you, and that's what we want to do. We don't want to do a sloppy work.
0: Yes, I agree. So, when you look at various companies, especially at startups uh, that focus on productivity and building uh, their product in an iterative way, in most cases, uh, building a serverless modern data platform using cloud managed technologies. And implementing batch pipelines and basic ML solutions is what they actually need the most. And in many cases, it's good enough for them. And they don't really need to build fancy ML solutions or real-time online machine learning models because it might be too expensive for them or not really necessary for their core business. Of course, uh, everyone would love to see the updated dashboards a little bit earlier or get notifications a little bit sooner or provide more personalized offering to their customers. But this also introduces a number of challenges Uh, and you described uh, some of them earlier in one of your answers. Uh, However, what I would like to add is that thankfully building real-time solutions or powerful ML AI models becomes uh, simpler and cheaper uh, thanks to new technologies and new tools. So it's likely that uh, in a few years it will be no-brainer to use them by default because the additional costs and efforts to build them will be relatively small. So to summarize this, I agree that it's good enough to build a cost-efficient solution that gives you, for example, 80% of what you really want, and then you can make an educated decision if it makes sense to improve this solution to get an extra 1% or extra additional 1%. And uh, this often depends on your scale. Uh, So, for example, if you are the largest Polish bank with over 10 million of customers and you give so many loans to different people or companies, uh, then improving your credit risk machine learning model by each 1% can be a big win for you. Uh, Because at this scale, it translates to significant gains so that you can spend time and effort on improving this machine learning model and do custom data science and data engineering work. And this, of course, depends on each company, on its scale, its priorities and the nature of their business model.
1: Uh, Definitely. Uh, So, as I said, obviously, priorities on different scale of companies are different, (laughs) In a sense, so the and the Pareto rule, as you mentioned, eighty uh, percent mm-hmm. versus the twenty percent, so well known.
0: Mm-hmm. So, if you think about two thousand twenty-three, would you be able to share what your priorities for the data platform and ML solutions uh, that you are working at Renofi are? Uh, so, I, I
1: so far I just talk about things we've been focusing on, but from Day one, we there are some data products uh, we want to invest in, uh, and that they would be a core product of Renovai, in a sense. So there, there is one that which what which we call risk, uh, not risk, but uh, a a score. We wanted to score renovations. We we wanted once we we collect all the information about what people renovate, about their Financials about about all those uh, projects. We wanted to score them, so get, to give our lenders more or less a, an idea that, okay, this project, we give it score seven or eight, which is means uh, they will definitely, it's not too hard. They have a good background. They have good financials. They have a good contractor with a track history of renovations. They are good, so maybe, that's our score could impact uh, uh, interest rate, maybe not interest, but, but some other costs. If someone get, get, gets lower score, then we, it would mean, uh, okay, this is, we are not 100%, we give it a stamp of approval, they will finish, but we are uncertain about how long will it take really, because it's a complex product, let's say. And the budget is tight; it's on the, on the, on, on the line in a sense, And that maybe it will go over, maybe not. We we are not sure. So this is one of the projects, and we already did a, a version, a version of it where we had a, a bunch of rules, bunch of heuristics, and it's. A, I can tell a little, a little bit about it because I think we we use a nice solution for it because we wanted to test from all our existing projects how this rules will work and to do it quickly we we thought okay so this this rules engine let's call it like that requires about 30 data points 30 features let's say so mm, how do we do it do we will we do it as a maybe a separate application where we create our own database, we'll pull into those all the required data points and then have uh, some web interface. And yeah, that would work. But then we also had a, maybe we will do it on the day in the warehouse, but, hey, hold on, but <laughs> implementing so many rules in SQL is really hard. And you, how do you test it? Well, um, you can test something, but it's still not very uh, efficient. So what we decided at the time to just test the rules We decided to implement it as a UDF uh, JavaScript function. So we wrote all the code in JavaScript. We used uh, tests to test all the rules. So every test was, uh, we had a test for every rule, then for all the calculations, everything well tested with uh, BDD and uh, Cucumber. And okay, that works in in, uh, isolation with test data. Now let's upload this, package Java Jitsu to, to Google Cloud Storage, create on BigQuery a macro, and then just use it with DBT to score and to see, to visualize the scores inside Looker. And I must say that that worked really nice, uh, at least when it comes to iteration, keep the logic as a separate package, which later could be, be used by application. It's just a package that you give it Thirty data points, uh, and that package is so. I think Snowflake would you you could use UDFs in Python, BigQuery. You only can uh, write uh, user-defined function in JavaScript. So we, that's why the main reason why we decided to use JavaScript. But when it comes to working with it, you can version, you can create many UDFs. So obviously, it was a lot of iterations. So visualize. Give our business people a nice driver, Okay, for this project, this is the score. This is all the data inputs we used. This is in and so on. So, on. so it was easy to validate. Um, but obviously, we want to move or have there's there are always going to be rules, even if you have an, an ML or some, it's only part of overall projects. Usually, you just uh, ML is checks maybe the feasibility based on some uh, data input. But anyway, you will always have some uh, rules in every product. So I, if anyone thinks about or has a solution uh, or has a problem and looks for a solution, in my experience, using UDF and JavaScript in with BigQuery uh, works nicely. Uh, so this is one data product that we will focus uh, in and, and focus more in next year. And another one is this after-renovation value, which is a, a massive a massive product that we always wanted to do, but it, it's a, a, a big complexity. At the mm-hmm. moment, what uh, Renofy does to estimate after-renovation value is to hire people for that. It, so there are two reasons for that. A it's required by lender that you have a person, you have an appraiser, a person that will say or give a his stamp of approval that after renovations, given this spec of renovations, the value will increase. There's obviously problems because market changes, uh, and I would say that it's good that we uh, didn't went for a for a automated. Uh, model because in this market having a good model is uh yeah the com- <laughs> it's hard uh, to to say the least it's very hard you would have to have a a, a, a good team of talented people to take into consideration all all the uh, changing world market and what's happening outside to get a a good valuation of a property, so at the moment we still defer to people appraisers but we, we want to build something that we can use at least for the for subset of the projects we see because if someone renovates kitchens renovates or adu it's a adu it's a just another kind of apartment inside in your property like another that you want to rent so we could try to estimate what would be the value after renovation. So that's, that's uh, a second problem that we want to focus on. From the BI, because I mentioned a little bit what our uh, data analytics for business intelligence is, we don't plan a lot of changes because we are, we, we are really happy with it. The challenges will be about the, on developing some projects that use data um, for automated valuations and for the that, for that scoring of products, uh, or just moving on with them because we, we already done some of it. I I don't will not go much into more into the detail.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting use case where even more data and even more ML AI uh, can be used. And we talked about your future plans, but maybe let's talk more about the past. Uh, So I have a final question that I would like to ask you. Uh, In one of your answers, you mentioned that when you joined Renofi, you discovered that your CTO already had made a number of good decisions related to data and data platform, and you were uh, very happy about them. So could you tell more about those decisions?
1: I think the best decision was that when you are a startup, uh, that you will hire a consultancy has an expertise and a good decision was uh, so uh, Remify is uh, based in Philadelphia and Tishtown Analytics which created DBT uh, was based in Philadelphia so they I think knew each other to the degree and the good thing that my CTO has done was to hire them to help up to set up our data infrastructure so I think that's a, a good recommendation that you don't build from scratch as if you don't have an expertise in-house, but you will hire someone at least for you a know, few, few months to set it up, to give you the best practices that are car- currently on the market. Uh, maybe you would have still someone available from here and then uh, when it's required. And in-house, what you should focus on are on analytics engineers. And by analytics engineers, I mean people that work with DBT and they know enough. They can code. Uh, they can you know, work effectively in common line standard uh, programming practices and tests. And all the modern data stack is uh, no-code solutions in a sense, uh, which for the size of uh, startup, like, which is Renofy it's uh, it's just great. I, obviously, I didn't cost, talk about the cost of it, uh, which is uh, I think we would require another another episode of this podcast. Uh, but it always depends. You, you cost of people, first cost of a service, uh, and that service, it's their product. They keep improving it. They have expertise in house to improve. All the ingestion and maintenance. So that uh, people, from my experience, I know I built in the past in previous company uh, kind of solution for ingest third-party data. Let's say it's kind of Stitch Fix, run a very low level for engineers, but had some practices. Keep maintaining all the connectors, checking what version has changed, uh, improvements on also on the destinations warehouses. Things are changing uh, I wouldn't like to do it again uh, mm-hmm. so it's, uh, it's fun when you do it first time. Uh, it might be fun also when you discover the problems that you've done in the first run and then you can rebuild it and do it better, but then you don't people you know don't want to maintain uh, things that uh, you know upgrading the versions it should be automated either you pay for it or you have a some mm-hmm. uh, solution that that just work.
0: Yes, that's true. And usually, if you have vendors such as DBT Labs or a Google Cloud Platform, uh, then if they are successful they have a very big leverage for their solutions because they can have like hundreds or even thousands of users, companies. So it, it's cost efficient and it makes sense to them to invest in their solutions uh, thanks to this economy of scale so they can keep improving uh, them by, by adding new functionalities, especially the ones that you won't be able to implement by yourself. Uh, because sometimes it would be simply too expensive to develop some uh, custom or some like big uh, feature only for yourself uh, because you won't have this economy of scale and the same leverage as they have.
1: Yes, yeah. And so I, I think everyone sees us these days that uh, you will try to outsource uh, many of those uh, problems to, to vendors. Either it's a stitch fight runner, so AirBite, it's open source, but I think someone can maintain it or you can maintain it. But, and also, I, I think many, you know, um, even data warehouses got BigQuery uh, or GCPs or uh, Snowflake go this way that they will have their own integrations with some tools. And you just, in, let's say in Snow, Snowflake, you will have, okay, in this data from uh, Salesforce. And you pay for it instead of using uh, Stitch. So I think market goes goes that way. Uh, there's gonna be more centralizations and unification of tools. Data space has too many tools, in my opinion. Uh, too many workflows, managers, and so on, and so on. I um, sometimes I have, have a headache when I see all on the diagrams what's what's out there. Uh <laughs> uh and you probably see also in getting data that the tools that you've been recommending three years ago are not the same tools that you recommend this year um yeah the turnover that it's it's huge uh, so what i what we try is uh, but that's one of the things i'm waiting in the ml space mm-hmm. to to get a winner like dbt in a data modeling space where it's more declarative where i can say okay, use this data, uh, then retrain it with some policies that I declare, something like in Terraform, I just write some template and it does it for for me. Um, It's relatively, so it has to be popular, um, community has to be big, same as in dbt. So hopefully that will will happen. I see Vertex AI uh, has many nice solutions already. Um, yeah so we'll see where, where, where we'll go but it's still uh, hard you need to have a good expertise in, in ML to build that operational uh, practices and you be certain that it will work and you don't have to worry too much about it at the moment maybe I don't have enough expertise that might be a reason but uh, it, it's still hard.
0: Mm-hmm. So hopefully we'll see some healthy consolidation in the data landscape so that there will be great tools that are easy to pick and will not have to change the technologies so often. So maybe DBT will be a mainstream tool that everyone is happy about and everyone is using. Let's, let's see where it goes. And this, this will uh, conclude our podcast episode. So I would like to thank you, Michal, for this conversation and sharing the knowledge with us. Thanks.